Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Good morning. It's so good to be with you all this morning. I love Sunday mornings. I love being with you all. I love family. and I love this time that we get to gather, gather together to worship our King, to get to know each other in a deeper way, to encourage one another, to build each other up. Um, but what I love most about Sunday morning is that when we gather and when He shows up and we get to respond to Him, and that's going to be the entire focus of my message um, this morning. And so as I was praying about what to speak on, this phrase kept coming to mind, and then uh, I didn't know that Trevor was singing that song, nor what Trevor was going to share. And then during our prayer time beforehand, Jasmine also heard the same thing. And so Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, it's repeated three different times. It says, today, today, as in today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear him speaking to you, do not harden your heart. There was a response that he's asking, inviting you into. And then we're going to talk about responding to his word today. Our series is The Way of Kings, and you can, if you're taking notes, you can title this message, which might sound confusing, but I'll explain it. Preparing for the win, the win, W-H-E-N, the win of the King of Kings. Preparing for the win of the King of Kings. And our focus is, what Steve has been talking about is hearing the voice of God, responding to the voice of God in Scripture. And in 1 Samuel, we get an insight into God's heart of his fellowship with us and what he desires and requires of us. So in 1 Samuel 15, we'll have it on the screen, you don't need to turn there. 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23. Samuel was delayed in getting to where Saul wanted him to be, and Saul said, you know what, I'm going to take it in my own hands. I need, to, I need to win this battle. I feel pressure. I can do this on my own. Samuel's supposed to make a sacrifice, but I'm going to do that. So put it in my hands, let's go, makes a sacrifice. Then Samuel arrives at the right time, and the sacrifice has already been done, and Samuel gets a word of the Lord, and it says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So you can pause and just reflect on that. It's biblical to do sacrifices in the Old Testament. If you do sacrifices today, that's weird. Uh, Come talk to me after. Uh, But (laughs) it is biblical as a response to worship God. So what he did was kind of a good thing, except he disobeyed the voice of the Lord. And I think we can easily get into that mode as a church and as a people where we can try doing good things for God while ignoring what he said and not obey him. And this morning is about us laying down our good things for the one thing that's necessary. So he responds, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, witchcraft, for those who don't know that. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. That ends with Hebrews 11, four, chapter 4, 11 and 13, which we've heard before. I'm going to have to re- read it again. 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. It's kind of interesting saying strive to enter into rest. You can't earn rest and you can't earn God's grace and you can't earn anything from him. But we can apply effort to the right things. His grace is absolutely opposed to your earning. If you try to earn it, you won't be able to. If you try to earn his affection, you won't be able to. But he invites us as we receive his affection, as we receive his rest, as we receive from him to apply all effort in the right things. I'm going to talk about that a little bit this morning. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to him we must give account. I'm going to read one last scripture concerning the word of God. It's Isaiah 55, 10, 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. But it will accomplish, it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent, for which I sent it. This morning, if the Lord's speaking, don't harden your hearts, because he wants to accomplish and do something in you, and ultimately wants to do something in the earth, and we get to be a part of that. Many of you might be aware, might not be aware of what's happening in Asbury, um, this, this is a college there in a seminary, and they had a chapel service that started Wednesday, February like 8th or something like that, and it's still going on. It's been continual prayer and worship. Um, and God's doing something there, and it started going to different universities. So people have been driving all over the country and all over the world to visit because God is doing something, and they want to be there and experience what God's doing and be changed. And we had a few people from our congregation go. And uh, one, one of those took a flight early in the morning from Kentucky back here to baptize some people. And he's going to share it briefly, um, so you give it to Tim for doing, doing the most extra thing. <laughs> Tim's going to share briefly about uh, Asbury and what's been happening there and a little bit of the backstory. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if y'all have seen any of the videos online about what God is doing at Asbury, but it is truly a beautiful thing. The Lord is pouring out his Holy Spirit in a fresh way uh, for millennials and for Gen Z. It's not hype. It's not it's worship, and it's glorifying Jesus to the utmost extent. Me and four other friends, we got in a car Friday morning, 5 a.m., hit the road, and we got to Wilmore, Kentucky at 3 p.m., and we entered the chapel, and what felt like an hour was five hours of worship. The testimonies that students and others were sharing were incredible. People were confessing sin like it was, it was crazy. People were like, man, I have been dealing with a perverted sexuality, and the Lord set me free here tonight. The Lord set me free from depression, from anxiety. The Lord healed my Achilles. All these testimonies coming in. And it's spread all over the U.S. so far. It's hit Cedarville University in Ohio, Samford in Alabama, Oral Roberts in Oklahoma, Lee University in Tennessee, and it's, it's going and it's the peace of God that surpasses 
all understanding and marked by a humility that is remarkable. Uh, the people stewarding this, the, the leaders of, um, of Asbury, they're in their 50s and 60s, and with tears, they wept as they repented for church hurt. Um, they repented for the way that this generation has been impacted and driven away from the church. And what, what stuck out to me at the end of it all was, although millions of Gen Z and millennials are leaving the church each year, the only way that they will return and more will come into the church is by God moving, and he's doing something in this hour right now. Hmm. Amen. I don't need it. I don't. So what's the purpose of all this? Where, where, why have we been doing Sunday mornings the way that we have been for the past few years? Where's the purpose of history moving towards? Scripture gives us a beautiful picture of what that's moving towards. It's not us leaving and abandoning earth as it burns away and us floating in heaven in ethereal bodies with God. It's him returning to earth and making all things new and him dwelling here, his presence being in here on earth, covering the whole earth and we, us being with him. That's where history is moving towards, his presence filling the earth. And the way that he does that is through his presence filling us and moving the church. The goal is his presence filling the earth, and the vehicle at which it goes is his presence. And if you don't understand or we don't understand that, we're going to look at that this morning. So God's presence is the goal of all history. God's presence through and with his people is a means of accomplishing that goal. And God's presence is his love and his holiness, which pulls a response from us when he's in the room. His love causes peace, uh, where there's anxiety and depression. His love brings joy, it brings wholeness. His love, love strengthen us, strengthens us, it brings us alive. And his holiness calls out everything that is a hindrance to that. I was studying on what, uh, how do you refine gold, and I found it really fascinating. You get it really, really hot, and it starts melting, and because gold is so dense, impurities just start floating. Because it's, it's liquid, turns in, the gold turns to liquid, and then impurities float to the surface. When gold is around that much heat, it has no choice but for impurity to come out. When God's holiness is in the room, you could try to harden your heart, but you don't really have a choice. Impurity is going to come out, and it's a really good thing because he's refining us. God's presence is his love and his holiness. And he immerses us in his love, and he makes us holy like he is holy. So what does revival look like? Because the question isn't if our king is returning or if our king comes again or if revival comes. It's when. The question for you is, if you'll be ready, and are you in the posture to receive it? Isaiah 61, this famous passage quoted by Jesus, we're going to read that together, of a little picture of what revival looks like, or when things are made whole and renewed. Think of revival as, it's when something is not alive and it's being revived and brought to life, or renewal is when something's paused and then restarted again. That there is something God's moving and doing that's causing dead things to come alive or things that felt like they were put on hold, felt like, maybe not in reality, for the kingdom of God is being restarted and we get to see and be a part of that movement. And Isaiah 61 gives a little picture of that in the scriptures. It says, 
the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And this was for Jesus. So you could say for us, since we are Christians or little anointed ones, is the Spirit of God is upon us. Because the Lord has anointed us to bring good news to the poor. He has sent us to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent us to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The reason why verse 4 exists is because we've been trying to do it outside of this. Our, Our world is trying to bring and get the benefits of the kingdom of God without the king of the kingdom. We want the things of his kingdom. We want joy, we want peace, we want justice, but we don't have the king And if you don't have the king, you can't have the kingdom, and it will fall apart and become devastated ruins and ashes. And we've seen that over and over again. The 20th century was the bloodiest century in world history. We killed between 100 to 400 million people outside of combat because we were trying to build the kingdom of God without the king. We did it on human effort, and we slaughtered hundreds of millions. But what was renewing in those countries wasn't better ideas or better human effort. It wasn't human earning. It was the king returning and people repenting and submitting to the king. Because when we submit to the king, we get the benefits of the kingdom, which is building up ancient ruins. It's restoring devastations and ruined cities. The devastations of many generations is renewed with one when they repent and follow the king. That's the invitation from our king today if you would hear his voice and respond and not harden your hearts. That's the call from our king today. And it continues on. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For as the earth springs forth, it sprouts. And as a garden causes what is sown it to sprout up, the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Renewal leads to praise and worship in all the nations. It's not about us. It's not about just here. It's about them, the ones who haven't heard yet. That's what this is about. Let me give you an analogy of what is good, but one, require one thing. I've been sailboating one time in my life, and it was miserable. I was in Galveston, sorry for those in Texas, we were in the bay, and it was pretty ugly, and it was cold, and it was windy, and I had never sailed before, and neither had all my friends, but we had one guy who knew how to sail. And we were doing a race for who knows why, and we got last place every single time, and he was yelling at us while we're trying to dodge the beam, and like, he's like, pull, I'm like, yanking, I'm like, I don't know what I'm pulling, you know, he's like, wrap, I'm like, I'm wrapping something, like, I had no idea what I was doing, it was chaos, but we moved. So if you want to go sailing, I hope that that doesn't deter you, but if you want to go sailing, there's a lot of things that are good, but there's one thing that is required and necessary. It's good to have a sailboat if you want to go sailing. You can't do it without one. 
It's good to know what you're doing and to read the books and to study. It's good to have good doctrine on sailing. It's good to have good ideas and to know and be immersed in that. It's good to have practice. Maybe not even on a sailboat, but at least for me, it would have been helpful to have rope practice, whatever that looked like. It's good to practice it and do the rhythms. It's good, and it's actually probably helpful and required if you want to go sailing. It's good to know where you're going. All those things are good. And it's good to have oars so that you can row yourself out into the, to the, to the lake or to the sea. But there's one thing that's required. Those things are good, but there's one thing that's necessary. And if you don't have wind, you're not moving. In church, we have a lot of good things that we do, and it is good, and don't look at any of that as bad. Teaching is good. Doctrine is good. Seminary is good. You waiting and praying and worshiping in the morning is good. It's good to confess sin. It's good to gather. It's good. All those things are good. But there's one thing that we need. As a church, we need to hoist up our sails, and we need the presence of God, and we can't earn that. And if you've been sailing, it's not about if the wind blows, but when. And do you have your sail raised? Church, these are good things that we do, and we need to raise the sails because he's going to move. If it's right now, and that's an if, I don't know, but if he's moving right now, we need to have our sails up. And if it's not right now, we don't get disappointed. It's not about if he, the wind blows. It's not if his presence comes. It's when. Revival will come again. He will move again. Because that's the God, that's our God. That is the story. In the garden, when he made the garden, he walked with Adam and Eve, and it was his dwelling place. And then when he called the people out of Egypt, he brought them out into a desert land, and he showed them how to erect a temple, a tabernacle, which means dwelling place. But a dwelling place isn't a dwelling place if he's not dwelling there. They did all the good things according to him, and it was good. They laid the foundations, they erected it. But Exodus 40 ends with his glory filling it, and it, then it becomes a dwelling place. The tabernacle and what they did was good, but what they needed was his presence. And then again, that happens with, uh, in Solomon. David wants, to build, David wants to build a temple. And he says, God, I want to build a great temple for you. I have a house, you don't have a house. And God speaks to David and says, <coughs> you have a son, you'll have a son, he'll build my temple. That was prophetic and twofold. Solomon would build a temple, but also there would be someone from the line of David that would come that would build a temple. And he builds the temple, and they say, whenever we repent and we turn our ways to you, Lord, would you heal our land? And they, they pray, they have bulls, and then fire comes from heaven, and this temple that was good to be built was filled with the glory of God. <coughs> Listen to the Lord, not me. One second. <coughs> It's unfortunate. <clears throat> the glory of God fills that temple. But that wasn't the end. Because that temple with the glory filled, when our king died, that veil was torn. But that wasn't the end. Our king resurrected from the grave. And he met with his disciples, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. But that wasn't the end yet. There was still more, a thing that they needed. They had the scriptures, they had the resurrected king, and he said, wait and stay here and pray that you might be clothed with, with power from on high. Wait. 
because you need one more thing. And in Acts 2, the now established, built temple church is waiting to be filled. And in the upper room, as they were praying and waiting, it said a sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the room, and fire, tongues of fire descended upon them and rested upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see the temple that was in the garden move from a tabernacle to a physical structure of the temple, but now we see that as the people of God. And we are the vehicle now of his presence and dwelling place. That's what we need, church. And we see over and over and again in Acts, over and over again as they pray, as they gather, that they are all filled with the presence of God. We can do all the good things, but if we don't have him filling us, if we don't have his presence, we're missing something. And you can't earn it. We need to apply all effort and diligence to raising the sails, but we can't earn the wind. It'd be in vain if we tried to earn it. It'd be foolishness. We'd look kind of foolish if someone was trying to blow into a sail, into a sail trying to get the sailboat to go. But it wouldn't look foolish for someone to continually raise it. Say, we're waiting. We're waiting for you to move. Band, y'all can come back up. And Isaiah 57, it gives us a picture of God dwelling. We need to prepare the way for our king of kings, for the when, not the if. Now I'm going to give us some practicals on how we can hoist our sails. It's not just you or individually you or me, it's us. We're a body and we do things together. And that's how he sees, and sees his church he doesn't fill individuals, he fills, yes, he fills individuals, don't hear me wrong my theology, but he fills his church, he fills us. And the prophetic word for our movement has been to lay down our oars because he wants to be the one that moves us. And we should be the one that long for that because we can't do it on our own. We will grow tired, but if he moves, it can't be stopped. I was, looking, I was reading about revivals this morning. It was a lot of fun. I woke up early because I wasn't ready. And is anyone familiar with the Welsh Revival? Cool. Evan Roberts was one of the sparks for the, for the Welsh Revival. He was 26 years old. He was formed in a coal mine in a Methodist family, and he'd been studying the Word since he was 11, memorizing Scripture, and he started a Bible study. And as he's starting Bible study, people are starting confessing sin, he emphasized the need for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for humility, confession of sin, and then preaching the gospel. Within one year, they had to stop their rugby football league because people were worshiping and so many people came to know Jesus. 100,000 souls got saved. Can you imagine if the Super Bowl didn't happen because of revival? That's what happened in, in Wales. This is from a historian. I'm going to read it real quick. Convictions of drunkenness fell by 50%. Several pubs went bankrupt. And the historian notes... Crime was so diminished that judges that were waiting to receive crimes instead were presented with white gloves signifying that there were no cases of murder, assault, rape, or robbery to consider. The police became unemployed because there wasn't crime. 
Some of them took up to being an ad hoc choir if you needed their, their services. Stoppages of cold in coal mines, not because of any unpleasantness between management workers, but because so many foul-mouthed miners became converted and they stopped swearing. And the horses didn't know commands without swearing because they're so used to it. I don't know if that's necessarily the Lord's will to stop production. John Wesley was 35 when he failed as a missionary and he came back and in a church service he didn't want to go to. His heart was strangely warm. And he started meeting up with people who were seeing God move. And as they prayed and as they shared, thousands upon thousands were getting saved. And Francis Asbury was 14 when he became a preacher because of that, who Asbury Seminary is from. And at 21, he was an ordained minister. And at 26, he came to the United States. And he lived his life preaching the gospel and seeing a move of God. Movements have been started by young people and old through prayer, fasting, gathering together and to worship. But the commonality between all of them is God's presence. That each one knew God beforehand, but they had a moment where something happened where they encountered God in a fresh way and responded to him. Dwight Moody was, he had built a church. He had a social justice ministry and he was his church got burned down and he was walking down the streets and all of a sudden, two older women had been praying for him and said, hey, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he felt a great need to get alone with the Lord. And he went alone into a room, prayed for hours, and he came back different. And then he said, I preached the same messages as, as I did before, but something happened and I see power. People are getting saved. Same messages, same person, filled with the presence of God. When God moves, we have to prepare our sails to catch the wind. Because when he's moving, people are going to get swept, in it, swept up in it. Church, we need to be ready. And that's what we've been doing every Sunday. We've been preparing, we've been preparing, we've been preparing. And if this is a move of God, we want to have our sails up to catch the wind. To catch his presence and to see people changed. Because our Lord, it says in Isaiah 57, our King our glorious and majestic, wonderful king. It says, build up and build up. Prepare the way. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up. He inhabits eternity and his name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. And I also, I dwell with him and her who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of of the contrite. Our God is king and he's been ruling and reigning. He hasn't stopped. He's on his throne. He needs to be th- on the throne of all of our hearts. And he needs a people, he desires to fill a people that humble themselves before him, confess their sin, get close to his holiness and allow impurities to come out and give it to him for him to cleanse so that we can be, look like him, be filled with him, and then go out into the world carrying his presence and his good news, not just in our effort and our strength, but through his power and his presence. He's raising up a church that's filled with his power and his presence because we can't do it on our own. We can't earn it. We can't do it. We need him to move. So our response this morning is to repent and confess our sins, to confess every way that when we've heard his voice, we've hardened our hearts. 
Because the good news is it isn't the end if you felt like your heart's hard. He's the one that softens it and he draws it closer to him. Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. So church, I invite you to stand and I don't know what he's inviting you to do. But I knew, I do know this. In every place, everywhere, he's calling everyone to repent, to stand before their king and say, in front of you, in spite of your holiness and your glory, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sinful and I'm condemned. And to be washed in his mercy, washed in his grace, washed in his blood, made whole, and then empowered and sent out to s- proclaim that good news. That the anointed one would anoint us to be anointed ones to bring good news to the poor. Because broken hearts need to be bound up, and people in prison need to be set free, and chains need to be broken off, and there needs to be healing and wholeness in our nation, and it comes from the king who's on the throne of our hearts, filling his church and sending us out. If you haven't been baptized and want to get baptized, it's still full. So if you want to get baptized, we have some elders that would love to talk with you, and we'll dunk you. Because the glory of the Lord raises us to walk in newness of life, and we respond in obedience to our King, not to anyone else but to our King. If you need to confess sin, I would, I would encourage you to confess to, if you're a man to a man, woman to a woman, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. If there's any hidden sin, because like we read in Hebrews 4.13 at the beginning, you're already exposed before him. And the great thing about being exposed by the one who loves you isn't shame, it's him breaking off condemnation and shame and making you whole. There's wholeness today if you want it. But however God's speaking to you, don't harden your hearts and respond to our King. I'm going to pray. We'll have people if you need prayer. But I invite you to come up and just surrender afresh to our King. Hoist your sails. Because he's going to be moving soon. Jesus, we thank you that you are our king and you've been the king of kings and the Lord of lords throughout every generation. That you are the one that's high and lifted up and to you, everyone will confess that you are Lord. Every knee will bow. Thank you, Jesus, that you rule and reign in heaven. We thank you for what you're doing in Asbury and these different seminaries, these different colleges. We ask that you would do it more and more. We can't cause you to do it. We ask that you would move. We ask for it at NC State. Jesus, we ask for it at UNC. We ask for it for the the colleges here. We ask for it for every church here. We ask for it for us. Would you move? Would you bring your presence here with us? Would you be pleased to dwell with us? Would you make us your tabernacle, the place where you're pleased to dwell? Would you expose every place in us that is a hindrance to your moving, a hindrance to us receiving your love? Every place, every sin, every shame, every place of brokenness, we thank you that your anointing and your blood covers and sets it free. We thank you that you heal and you restore and that you do it. And we ask and we need your power and your presence. We need your word. King, we invite you to speak. So you'd speak to every heart and every ear. Would you open up our hearts and our minds to hear you? We'd recognize your voice and hear your voice. As I was praying, I remembered something. This week is Collegiate Day of Prayer, which started 100 years ago, or more than that, 200 years ago. 
we'll be doing 24 hours of prayer and worship on campus, NC State. And we have places for you to sign up if you want to be on campus and pray and worship. I understand if you have kids, it's difficult. If you don't have kids, because I have kids, I can say it. You can do it. I want you to sign up. I'm inviting you to sign up to pray, to worship, and to contend for God to move on campus. Then next week, we have a three-day fast. It's a great way to hoist our sails. It's to fast and pray, and we're ending that on March 1st with worship here. We're going to pray and worship. We're going to continue to contend. Because we're going to continue to hoist our sails because we're ready for our king to blow. We're ready for our king to come and and dwell amongst us. King of kings, you are worthy of it all. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you, King Jesus, of it all. You deserve the glory. You deserve the glory of our hearts, of the healing in our hearts, and the healing in our body, and the breakthrough in our lives. What gives you greater glory than souls returning to you, than hearts finding you, than sails being lifted up, and your people saying, sanctify me, renew me, change me, use me. You deserve all of the glory. And you are not stingy. You are not content filling us up halfway. You want to pour yourself out the way you poured yourself out on the cross, the way you hung up there on the cross 2,000 years ago and the blood and the water spilled out from your side. You did not withhold one drop for us and you do not withhold now. And so before we leave, we say, you deserve the glory, fill us up. Where we're at 25% or 50% or 75%, it's not enough because you deserve the glory and you want to pour out your spirit on your people. And we pray that you would fill us up. Fill us up. Fill us up. Holy Spirit, come and fall on your people. Chris talked about those who revival break out from, and there's an anointing over the young people at Asbury right now. He is breaking out in the Gen Z. So if you are 30 or under and you want breakthrough, you want revival in your life, you want to be a vessel of revival and change that shifts this generation, then come to the front because we are leaving at 50%. We are leaving at 50%. Brothers and sisters, if you are over 30, you are not omitted. You can come up too. Come lay hands on these youth and these young adults. Come receive. I pray, Lord Jesus, that any spirit of comfort at at lack of fulfillment any place where we are okay with where we're at break that off in the name of Jesus may we know how thirsty we are may we know how thirsty we are fill us up in the name of Jesus I speak blessing and anointing over these young people I pray the revival would break out I pray that revival would break out. I pray that sins that are hidden.
not called sin would be revealed. I pray that hidden sin of the heart would be revealed. I pray that any alignment and agreement with the enemy, any agreement with the spirit of depression, any agreement with the spirit of mental illness, any agreement with physical unhealth and unwellness, any agreement with unbelief, any agreement with a lack of faith for your destiny and for the destiny of those you love. We pray that it would be broken off in the name of Jesus. We pray that the truth of Jesus, the truth of his gospel would resonate from the head to the heart. That it would be satisfied and fulfilled in your body in the name of Jesus. I pray for the out of the breaking out of the Holy Spirit. We pray more Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit, would you come? More Holy Spirit, would you come? More Holy Spirit, more Holy Spirit. I pray revival would break forth in this room, that the generation would be transformed by your Holy Spirit. I pray that the city of Raleigh would be transformed by your Holy Spirit. More Lord, may we not be satisfied. May we not be satisfied. May we not be satisfied because you deserve the glory. You deserve the glory. Holy, holy.